you do what they told you. And now you do what they told you. And now you do what they told you. We have cleared the decks. Decks have been cleared. We gave you all the information you needed to know about the week six matchups on the Roto Underworld First Mover podcast, which airs on Roto Grinders on Mondays and on the Roto Underworld radio feed on Wednesdays. So you're welcome. And today we're bringing on a heavy hitter, a Roto Underworld favorite. He's been on the show as much as anybody. Evan Silva, JJ Zacharyson, Sean Siegel, Matthew Friedman. It's Kevin Cole, who also happens to be from Roto Grinders. Yes. One of my favorite people in the industry. I personally most enjoy the shows where the guest is simply not having my shenanigans, where I have to work hard. So I have to work hard the entire show to get this person to crack a smile. And then out of nowhere, a Matthew Friedman, a Kevin Cole just levels me with a witty remark that eviscerates my previous position. Just leaves me crawling around on the floor trying to pick up the pieces of my sports take. That's the guy. Those are my favorite shows. I'm a masochist. I want to feel pain and be forced to elevate my game. And whenever I start a new beef on this show, I do it because I want to feel pain. Because what's painful for me is pleasure for the audience. Nothing makes the audience happier than seeing the pompous podfather leveled, humbled, begging for mercy. This is why I pick fights with anyone in the industry that I think can rise up and slam me to the canvas. But every time I do it, I walk away disappointed from the exchange. Like last week, Draft Pete Cheat has a reputation as an agitator. Yes. Oh, don't want to get in a Twitter beef. He'll own you. Oh, yeah. We're the adversary, they said. That's exciting. Please, let's beef. And his first punch was a good one. Gotta hold me accountable for my bad Calvin Ridley takes this offseason. Yes, yes. And what was my Calvin Ridley take this offseason? My Calvin Ridley take this offseason was that Calvin Ridley is overrated because he went to Alabama. And that if you zoom out and just look at the advanced metrics, he lacks age-adjusted college dominance and he lacks size-adjusted athleticism. If you're lacking those two qualities, you're not a first-round pick, period. And the only way that guy becomes a first-round pick is to wear an Alabama uniform. That's it. That's the only way. And furthermore, if a wide receiver with superior age-adjusted production and superior size-adjusted athleticism switched places with Calvin Ridley, if Traquan Smith, for example, enrolled at Alabama and Calvin Ridley enrolled at UCF, then it would be Traquan Smith drafted in the first round and Calvin Ridley drafted in the fourth or fifth round. That's the take. And then what happened Monday night? Oh, boy. <laughs> in limited snaps because he doesn't have the draft capital, right? That's what Calvin Ridley has going for him. Great freshman year production. That's a big green check mark on the Calvin Ridley profile and draft capital. That's the other bright green check mark. Well, Traquan Smith doesn't have that. But with Ted Ginn out, Traquan Smith was finally called upon to run routes. 
and he turned three targets into three receptions for 111 yards and two touchdowns. Just big play after big play. So now, now, the unbelievable has happened. The NFL's former touchdown rate leader, Calvin Ridley, was surpassed by a new touchdown rate leader, Traquan Smith. (laughs) So now it's Traquan Smith that has the most unsustainable touchdown rate in the NFL. It's Traquan Smith who is now officially more efficient on a per snap and per target basis than even Calvin Ridley. (laughs) You can't make this up! Draft Pete Cheat! I just transposed the words. I called him Draft Pete Cheat. I like that better. That's what we will call him from now on. It's not Draft Cheat Pete. It's Draft Pete Cheat. Draft Pete Cheat. That sounds better. That has a better ring to it. I mean, anything is better than at Draft Cheat. The worst Twitter handle in the fantasy football community. We've covered that one already. And I enjoy seeing the replies on Twitter from the DFS drones that follow Draft Pete Cheat. They're so confused. They don't understand how it would be possible to spend five to ten minutes obliterating another fantasy analyst. Like, they think that that's pathetic. Oh, that's so sad that he spent so long talking about you on his podcast. That must make you feel good that he's giving you so much attention Really? See, these people don't get the show. It's so easy to find the people that don't get the show. And they're particularly easy to spot on Twitter because they have the word DFS and crypto in their bios. I'm seeing a lot of crypto boss with the SS replaced with dollar signs in this draft cheat Pete audience. How's that cryptocurrency working for you? <laughs> If you have the word crypto in your bio, you are a sucker. The most obvious investment bubble of my lifetime. And these poor suckers don't get the show. They don't know that my front lawn is actually a graveyard of fantasy analysts who I turned into charcoal on these airwaves. Most of them were hit with flames that reached higher for longer on the show. They don't know that the last show on Roto Grinders was just a warm up that I'm just getting started because I love this. This is the reason I started the podcast so that at any point, anyone on Twitter or any sports media platform thinks they're smarter or more clever than I am. I can revel in their destruction. You have to understand this gets me off. I'm hard right now knowing that I'm about to humiliate another minor league sports personality who thinks he's ready for the major leagues and then soon realizes, oh, 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 they throw really hard up here. Yeah, the pod father goes hard. Yeah. If you want to challenge the Podfather, you go ham or you go home. And Trey Quad Smith just made Calvin Ridley look like a lesser version of himself in every way. Trey Quad Smith, bigger, stronger, faster, and as we can see, more explosive and efficient on the football field. I mean, <laughs> watching this box score light up, because I don't watch the games. I mean, please. I can't be bothered to watch these games. But I did see the box score light up with splash play after splash play by Traquan Smith of all the players. 
I mean, it's just... He's the guy we juxtaposed with Calvin Ridley. And it begs the question, why would I ever take an L on a player? Because that's what Draft Pete Cheat wants me to do, right? He so desperately wants me to take the L on Calvin Ridley. I mean, he'll do anything to get me to take the L on Calvin Ridley. And I will not. And many of you want me to stop talking politics. And I will not stop talking politics because most of the people I talk to are exasperated with Donald Trump. And I get it, right? But I'm also apolitical. And my friends in the blue team are not interested in learning from Donald Trump. But I am. He's not a good guy. And we can agree with that. Even the most ardent supporters of Trump acknowledge he's not a good guy. They just think he's the right guy for the job. That this is the Wild West and Donald Trump is the sheriff we need. So we can at least agree on that. And that makes what he's accomplished all the more impressive. That an otherwise despicable character can somehow command such loyalty. I mean, it is the riddle of our time. And many of us can learn from his tactics, especially those in sports media, right? Because what does Donald Trump refuse to do? He hasn't done it since he took office. He never takes L's. Ever! I and mean, you could argue he's been eating L's since he took office. But he never acknowledges that he's wrong. Ever! And that's impressive. So if the leader of the country outright refuses to ever take an L on anything, why the fuck would I ever take an L on Calvin Ridley? In this way, I am the Donald Trump of fantasy football. I am not taking any L's. The last player for which I admitted I was wrong was Cooper Cup because I had to. I said Cooper Cup was overrated. I called Cooper Cup a compiler. I argued about this with John Moore. John Moore, rest in peace. So John Moore from Rotoviz, creator of the Phenom Index, strongly believed that Cooper Cup would be a successful NFL receiver because he was just so prolific at the college level and he was a fantastic special teamer. And then the Rams went out and drafted two wide receivers that year. They drafted Cooper Cup in the third round and then two rounds later they drafted Josh Reynolds. And like with Calvin Ridley, my Cooper Cup position distilled down to a dichotomy. Cooper Cup versus Josh Reynolds. And I contended that Josh Reynolds was a superior prospect regardless of draft capital. Sure, Josh Reynolds drafted two rounds earlier. Doesn't matter. He's better. Feel the same way about Traquan Smith versus Calvin Ridley. And then Cooper Cup went out as a rookie and outproduced Sammy Watkins. And the entire Rams offense experienced the greatest resurgence I've ever witnessed in the NFL taking the league's least efficient offense and making it the most efficient offense in less than three years. I mean, wow! In that context, it would be impossible to continue to dismiss Cooper Cup. And then football happened on Sunday. Cooper Cup suffers a concussion after Brandon Cooks suffers a concussion. And guess who's the next man up on the depth chart? Oh, guess who finally will be granted an opportunity to catch passes, accumulate receiving yards, and score touchdowns at the NFL level. Oh yes, that's right, Josh Reynolds. Now, it's worth remembering why I believed Josh Reynolds was the superior prospect last season. And I talked with Josh Norris about this on this show, and he agreed with me. Because Josh Reynolds possesses superior size-adjusted athleticism and age-adjusted production at a major conference. Think about it. When Josh Reynolds was breaking out at Texas A&M at age 19, Cooper Cup was redshirting at Eastern Washington. Yes, Cooper Cup was prolific, but prolific in the context of an air raid offense. 
Josh Reynolds was not as prolific, but posted a 39.7% dominator rating while sharing a field with Christian Kirk. And then I brought it up to Marcus Mosier this offseason. I said, is it a mistake for me to drop Josh Reynolds from my dynasty team? It's a short bench, and I can't see Josh Reynolds commanding significant snaps unless there's an injury. And Marcus Mosier agreed. He said, yeah, Josh Reynolds, he's expendable at this point. Fortunately, I have Josh Reynolds on my taxi squad in the Roto Underworld Dynasty League, which is for patrons only. Patreon.com forward slash podfather. Join the community, support this show, and you can join a patrons only Dynasty League. A Dynasty League that's deeper than the typical Dynasty League, one in which I was able to continue to roster Josh Reynolds throughout the offseason, even though he didn't project to see snaps or targets of consequence this season. You think back to the players in recent memory that have landed like egg on my face. Deshaun Watson comes to mind. Well, with Deshaun Watson, I channeled Donald Trump. Deshaun Watson was a consensus top five quarterback in fantasy football, seasonal and dynasty. And I was asked, are you going to take the L on Deshaun Watson? And my answer was no. No, I will not take the L. I'm not taking the L anymore. The last player I took the L on was Cooper Cup. I called him the white angel of death during the pre-draft process. As a pejorative, I took the L, I pivoted. Now the white angel of death is a term of endearment for Cooper Cup. Classic podfather pivot. But I regret it. I should have held firm and kept that candle burning for Josh Reynolds. Because now where are we? Cooper Cup and Brandon Cooks may miss week six and Josh Reynolds becomes a starting receiver opposite Robert Woods. Potentially getting a 100% snap share for a team projected to score 30 points every week. I mean, that's the floor for the LA Rams. 30 points. You're telling me that guy is going to be a starting skill position player for that offense? Fuck. Never should have walked away from that take. The lesson Donald Trump has taught all of us in sports media is you're better off just running out the clock on a guy than admitting you're wrong. It just happened to me with Calvin Ridley versus Traquan Smith. I mean, what if I had gone in front of this microphone last week and apologized? Oh, draft Pete Cheat, I'm so sorry that I wasn't more bullish on Calvin Ridley. I projected him just too low. Maybe that touchdown rate is sustainable. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Where are you, Traquan? I'm taking the L. Would have been a big mistake. The NFL is a small sample size league. Only 16 games. You gotta zoom out and take the long view on players. Just look at J.J. Zacharyson with Derek Carr. He wrote in 2015 that Derek Carr was not the future of the Oakland Raiders. Then Derek Carr rises up in 2016 and becomes an MVP candidate. And at that point, J.J. Zacharyson feels boxed in. He's God, God, Raiders fans are such assholes and they're, they're ravenous. God. Fine, I'll take the L on Derek Carr. Not so fast. You're better off running out the clock. And now, the year is 2018, and Derek Carr is widely viewed as an epic bust at the quarterback position. An albatross around the Oakland Raiders franchise. Less than two years ago, Derek Carr was an MVP candidate. Think about that. Anything is possible, and taking the L gains you nothing. I'd rather spend 20 minutes mocking some wannabe trash talker on my show 
than spend 30 seconds taking any kind of L. Fuck that. We are going to run out the clock on Draft Pete Cheat. Just keep hammering him every single show. Like, he has no idea what kind of podcast Pandora's box he opened. And I love how confused his supporters are. Wait, he spent a whole eight minutes talking about you on his podcast? Wow, that's really lame. Eh. These segments generate by far and away the most listens, the most audience engagement, the most Patreon pledges. This is what the people want. And this is what I enjoy most. I mean, I have a rock hard boner right now. Knowing that I'm about to make someone question their entire existence within the fantasy football community feels so good. Because Draft Cheat Pete made a mistake. Not a small mistake either. A major mistake. A critical mistake. Actually, he made multiple mistakes. The first was that he thinks he can win on Twitter. That's a miscalculation. And secondly, in his first tweet since that first mover podcast on Roto Grinders, he lied. These kinds of exchanges demand complete honesty. My audience rides with me because I am transparent. And listen to this first tweet responding to my mockery. Yo, at fantasy underscore mansion. Finally got around to listening to your little rant. Instead of responding on my own channels, let's settle this where it counts. <laughs> I'll let you decide the stakes, head-to-head or GPP, and the site, FanDuel or DraftKings. I'm good to start on Sunday, let me know. Okay. We all know you didn't just get around to listening to the show on Friday. So you're starting off with a lie. Stop lying. But he can't stop lying. And he can't stop tweeting. Because I'm not responding to this. Of course I'm not responding to this. But his followers respond, asking, where can I listen to this? And he writes back, it's on his little pod. Doubt RG would allow their baby newcomer to speak my name on air. Stop lying. Whatever you say next has less credibility when the thing you said before was a lie. We all know it's on Roto Grinders. That's where you originally heard it soon after it came out. You know it and I know it, so just stop lying. And for the love of God, find a better retort than going to Twitter, calling my show little, and challenging me to a DFS contest. Oh, we're going to settle this. This gives me stomach pains how lame this is. Because it's not just this one tweet. Hey, 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 you over there. Heard your little show. I'm a big deal in DFS. Let's play man-to-man, man. <laughs> I cannot laugh at this because it's not one tweet. One tweet would be something. You want to talk about DFS? Eh, let's play DFS together. Eh, let's see how it goes. But then he just continues to tweet on his timeline. He tweets a skeleton gif waiting. You know, the skeleton just wrapping his fingers on the table. Waiting for you to respond to my tweet. I just tweeted at you. You gotta respond. I put your handle in the tweet. You're forced to respond if I tweet at you. Where are you? Why aren't you tweeting? And then he quote tweets himself. Hey, fantasy underscore mansion. Not sure if you're aware. It seems you don't even play DFS. Yeah, no shit. No shit the podfather doesn't play DFS. Everybody knows that. But it's Sunday, and there are NFL games today, and we need to start our challenge. (laughs) 
And then finally, even the DFS drones in his audience start to wonder why he's so desperate to interact with me on Twitter. LOL, dude, you don't get it. LOL, dude, he doesn't even watch football. Yeah, that's the other thing. You think I care that the games are about to start in quotes? Like, what? Do you know who you're talking to? David Treadwell writes, you're an insecure clown bot. Honk, honk. Nice job. Look at the buzzards. The real Ricky D writes, hey, draft Pete cheat. I'm old enough to remember when you used to play DFS too. (laughs) There are buzzards in his audience challenging his relevancy, (laughs) which was my whole premise. This whole thing started with a question. Who is this person? Is it a bot? What is it? And why does he care so much about Calvin Ridley? And now my question is, why does he care so much about playing me at DFS? There were a handful of likes on the tweet when I read it for the first time at brunch. And I was made sad by it because I realized, wait, this is all this guy has. He just has let's play DFS. Like, that's his comeback. Like, that's it. I had such high hopes for a true exchange of vitriol that would elevate us both, take us to great heights like Mayweather McGregor. But this is all he has. So I retweeted it. I retweeted it. I was the first to wade in and say, listen, I'll go ahead and retweet this to my audience. I've never done that. I've never done a pity retweet in my life, but I felt like he needed it. But I thought that was it, right? That had to be the end. Once he was ridiculed by his own audience, once you lose the DFS bros, it's over. But no, it wasn't over. It wasn't over. I still can't believe it wasn't over, but it wasn't over. He writes, we need a fantasy mansion, Josh Hermsmeyer, Derek Cardi, NFL DFS show. Three guys that know everything, but don't play DFS. This guy's tilting. That was the first neuron to fire in my brain. Wow, this guy's tilting on social media and it's spectacular. And he just gratuitously takes out Josh Hermsmeyer of all people. Super well-respected analyst. (laughs) What? And then the next reply was from Matt Kelly's burner account. And he wrote exactly what I was thinking. My burner account wrote what I was thinking. You're tilting, bro. And no, of course I don't play DFS. I don't play DFS for the same reason I don't answer start-sit questions. You think I'm sitting in front of my computer on Sundays? Hell no. I'm at brunch. Your species, whatever species that is, that species is below me on the food chain. I am the apex predator. I run playerprofiler.com. I run Roto Underworld Radio. I have neither the time nor the inclination to play DFS. Never have. I don't even know my DK password. Someone else sends me the salaries every week. Do you understand that? I don't even log in myself. Because I am on a different plane of existence. I do know my FanDuel password, though. I know my FanDuel password because I have to log in to count the tens of thousands of dollars that the partnership generated me this year. Right? And it continues to this very moment. If you're going to play in a millionaire maker, do it on FanDuel. Because not only do they have a $1 million first prize, and it's only $9 to enter, they've started introducing jackpots layered on top of normal contest prizing. So for example, 
a couple weeks ago, they split $100,000 among anyone who selected a defense that scored a touchdown. Just giving away money at random. And they'll continue to mix in these jackpots as the season goes on. Check out their random jackpots for this week. FanDuel.com forward slash profiler dash million. And many of you are going to check that out, even though this is just a little show. Yeah, this little show that has infinitely more listeners than your show because you don't have a show. Because if you did have a show, you wouldn't be on Twitter. Instead of responding on my own channels, what, what, what channels? Your only channel is Twitter, clearly. I mean, you may co-host another show that you don't control, but you don't have your own podcast. You're thinking about starting a podcast. That's just another pathetic cliche tweet on a long list of pathetic cliche tweets on this timeline. Listen to me, Draft Pete Cheat. Your only means of communicating with the world is Twitter. In that way, you are on the level with my daughter because my daughter has an iPhone 5 and she loves to text her parents. Just tapping the keyboard and the letter pops up and then she scrolls through the emojis. She found the emoji button. So cute. And she sends us these little electronic messages that are under 300 characters. She tweets. She doesn't use Twitter, but essentially she's tweeting. Twitter was designed to engage young people. That's why it's called Twitter. And their logo is a little blue bird. Adults like myself that control their own content and have their own platform respond in our own voice and we're not constricted to this little pad with these little buttons to get this little message out to the world. Oh, I'm going to tweet. Oh, it's going to be great. Twitter is like communication jail. You're in this little confined space and it's the only way you could express yourself to the outside world. Just these few characters, that's all you're allowed. But I'd rather use Twitter than my other channels. <laughs> Again, stop lying. You don't have other channels. And even if you happen to appear on a radio show or a podcast, you don't have creative control because if you do, you would have responded in front of a microphone where you can actually express yourself, where you can use a voice inflection to show sarcasm. I could say whatever the fuck I want in front of this microphone. I could say, Draft Cheat Pete has a baby dick. <laughs> and you know I'm joking. I don't know if I'm joking, actually. Nobody knows. All we have as evidence is his Twitter feed. Never mind. The point is, as long as I have this microphone and all you have is this little window with these little buttons, you're fucked. Just stop lying and stop pretending that somehow you and I are equals because we both have Twitter accounts. These exchanges only help me. Don't you understand? My audience knows you're just another buzzard. Meanwhile, you are putting me on an equal plane with yourself elevating me to tens of thousands of DFS drones. I mean, I was just at 15,000 followers. I'm going to be at 20,000 in just like a second. How do you think that happened? You tilting on social media. That's how that happened. You not having a platform from which you can express yourself. That's how that happened. And you think that I'm going to willingly climb down the ecosystem and slum it with you playing a head-to-head -head DFS over multiple weeks when I don't even open my computer on Sundays. I don't even watch the games, bro. 
You think I want to actually sift through all the injury news on Sunday morning? Like, that's a good use of my time? Ew! You think I would actually sit through all these penalties and instant replay stoppages and watch the actual football games? Hell no! But there are members of Draft Pete Cheats audience that want us to play head-to-head. Here's a tweet. Weird how Roto-Grinders would have a show with a guy who doesn't play DFS. Hashtag contrarian. This is the best. When a buzzard thinks he's being facetious and he's actually being factual. Like, I read that in a condescending tone, but the condescension was misguided because the way to be contrarian is to give a voice to someone outside the industry echo chamber. That's the whole point of having Matt Kelly... On the Roto Underworld Game Night Show. How is that not obvious? This DFS challenge would be like a stockbroker that's just enraged that Jim Cramer's not taking the L on General Electric. Like challenging Jim Cramer on Twitter. Imagine this. Imagine this. A stockbroker challenging Jim Cramer to a stock picking contest just because he picks stocks on television. That's a pretty good analogy, actually. Jim Cramer and I are wildly popular, wacky showmen who inform, we entertain. That's on the nose. And Draft Pete Cheat is just a guy on the floor of the exchange grinding it out. And hey, I absolutely respect the true grinders out there, the rounders in this industry. Those guys are heroes. I just wish Draft Cheat Pete was better at it. And I have to admit, I really enjoyed thinking about Draft Pete Cheat, waiting for me to reply to his Twitter challenge. I mean, that was a great source of joy this past weekend. Did he reply? Refreshing his Twitter feed? He didn't reply. I'll send another gif of a skeleton waiting impatiently. That's going to do it, right? No, no, no. That didn't work. Man, this social media beefing thing is not going the way I thought it would. Yeah, because it's super lame. But hey, it does give me more exposure and more followers. So I guess that's good. Oh, I just found another one. More shade on Twitter from Draft Pete Cheat. This Matt Kelly guy is incapable of having a conversation with any other human other than himself. Yeah, I host a one-man podcast. That's how a one-man podcast works. What are you talking about? Draft Pete Cheat doesn't get the show. And what is he saying? That I'm antisocial? Yeah, sure enough. Members of his audience reply back with pictures of me wearing glasses. Oh, you mean this nerd, right? This antisocial nerd who can only have a conversation with himself? Think about that. When the DFS Twitter challenge doesn't work, Draft Cheat Pete pulls the he's a nerd that wears glasses ripcord. Really? But again, because he doesn't get the show, he doesn't know that the photo he was referring to of me wearing glasses was me making fun of myself for wearing glasses. Like, there's levels of jokes that just whoosh right over the top. Nice glasses, nerd. You don't have social skills. I mean, it really is a stunning level of amateur hackery. And it's disappointing, man. I'm just disappointed. That's really what it comes down to. Thank God we can talk to Kevin Cole today and I can be intellectually challenged and held accountable and humbled when my jokes and takes don't work out. I mean, what a relief. 
Because I genuinely want to see someone other than myself be good at this whole beefing thing. I would happily take the L if anyone was capable of being clever or humorous. It's all I want. Because we would be like binary stars just spinning around each other, rising up like Hulk Hogan and the Macho Man. But instead, all I have is draft cheat Pete and his depressing ineptitude. I want a real podcast feud so bad. That's how comedians do it. Comedian X strikes first on his podcast, then Comedian Y comes back over the top on his podcast, and then boom, 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 boom. And then both podcasts command more listeners in the process. Like, how is that not obvious? Beefing via podcast is infinitely more effective than fucking Twitter. But those are comedians, personalities with actual audiences who would never stoop to calling another comedian a nerd because he wears glasses. Fuck out of here, man. I I'm genuinely infuriated about how bad he is at this. And I cannot wait to check that Rams box score this weekend. Oh, seven catches, 100 yards, a touchdown for Josh Reynolds. Please, 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 please. I'll never say I'm wrong again. And when you go to that Josh Reynolds page on playerprofiler.com, look to the right. You'll see Josh Reynolds props on my bookie. Click it. Set up an account. And when you do, use the promo code UNDERWORLD for $25 in free play box and a 100% signing bonus. Think about that. And then you can go ahead and play all the Josh Reynolds props you can find. The reception's over. The receiving yard's over. Boom, boom. It's too easy. It's just too easy. And now let's go talk to Kevin Cole, someone who makes putting me in my place look easy. Follow him at ColeKev on Twitter. Welcome to the Roto Underworld Radio Program. Oh, yes. It's Kevin Cole! Talk to me, Kevin. You're a little more excited about this than I am. Yes, I'm back. I'm I'm here. Uh, I've prepared a little bit more than usual, meaning I've actually read the question. So let, let, let's get to it. <laughs> well, we're enjoying this season. I know you are. You're now a full-time analytics guru at Roto Grinders. Congratulations. Thank you. And we're enjoying football. Is football better off with this less vicious defense and more scoring? I mean, I, I definitely think so. Obviously, the ratings are proving that to be the case. I mean, I, I don't think it's completely analogous with what we saw in the NBA and Kevin Durant ruining the NBA as... Oh, yeah, ruined it. Yeah, he really ruined it. As ratings continue to go to go higher and higher. But it's clear that people want to see, you know, they want to see good quarterback play. Things like Aaron Rodgers and Wentz and everyone else going down last year, combined with a, a lull of uh, of draft classes before, you know, you the okay? 2016 class. Yeah. Oh, you're right. <laughs> I'm going to I'm going to fight through this one. <laughs> I think all that combined is gonna is gonna make things you know really great moving forward and and people I think are making too big of a deal out of a handful of plays, and you know what you can't you can't smash the quarterback anymore when you don't need to when the ball's already gone you know it it happens we'll move on football's not ruined you're not turning it off quit quit pretending that's right there are ways to tackle the quarterback without pulverizing the man's collarbone okay we don't want to do that so just don't do that and we'll all be fine and better off because of it now. You've been doing a lot of work on predictive football. That's your website, predictivefootball.com. It is, although it's it's been it's been it's been uh, sparsely 
populated ever since I, I took the uh, the job at Roto Grinders. Well, I saw you wrote an article about going for two. Why should more teams go for two like the Eagles did last week? That is correct. Now, it's you know it, it's interesting because it's it's something that got a lot of pickup. Actually, uh, I got picked up by uh, Pro Football Talk and, and some others. I mean, the the basic gist is this this could go for a lot of strategy later in the game is going to overtime is not a great accomplishment. Okay, like getting to overtime shouldn't be your goal. Your goal is winning the game. Okay, so people don't understand you get to overtime unless you're an over overwhelming favorite. And even then, it's a it's a small sample thing. It's only it's only 10 minutes of play. It doesn't mean you're going to win the game. So the key is maximizing your chance to win in the game, and that's what the Eagles had done last week. When you have the ball, see, here's the thing. You have the ball, and you're two fucking yards away! You have the ball, Kevin, and you have two yards to win the game. Or we can go to an overtime scenario where you may not even start off with the ball, and then you don't know what's going to happen. And worst case, you play an entire quarter of football and exhaust your team for the following week, and it ends in a tie. What have you just accomplished, head coach? The head coaches are always trying to extend these games, extend these games, extend these games. It's happened a lot more. Because they're cowards. It's happened a lot more. Well, they, you don't, you don't want to say you're out of it until, until the very end, which makes you know, no sense to me. But I, I really you – know, I think it had been done once before a very long time ago. But we were some, somewhere in the neighborhood of 30, 40 straight times underneath the same scenario. Now, just for those, for those who don't know, don't know, the scenario is you're down 14 points. You score a touchdown, so then you're down eight. What do you do? Do you go for two or do you go for one? In that scenario, I believe it's something like 40-something straight times teams had just kicked the extra point and then to be down seven. Now, the Eagles went for two to cut it to six, and the reason you do that is you have basically a 50% chance of doing that. And then the next time, if you make it, you can just kick the extra point and hopefully at that point be up by a point and win in regulation as opposed to if you if you miss it you still have a chance to go for two again and get to overtime so you're 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 increasing the chances that you lose in regulation but you're but you're vastly increasing the chances that you win in regulation and that's that's the part that people don't don't seem to understand so it's kind of incredible that it took this long for this is a very simple math problem. I mean, I lay it out, you know, where where my first grader could 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 follow what's going on here, and yet it still took it took till this last week for someone to actually do it. No surprise, it was the Eagles. Now, is it a fallacy that the run sets up the pass in the NFL? Because this is what broadcasters have been telling us for decades. Is it actually true? I mean, I think your your fans and the listeners of this pod are probably sophisticated enough to know that it is is certainly not the case that that happens. Well, we've been brainwashed with this hobby horse cliche. I mean, the thing is, you you got you got football small sample combined with this inverse correlation that people don't seem to understand is that you run more when you're winning, obviously. And that's that's what happens. So what happens, what sets up the runs is the pass setting up the run, but specifically what sets up the run is converting third downs. That's what sets up the run. They're, the, the Jaguars last year were very good at, at converting third downs. The Eagles are very good at converting third downs. That's when you find success. And if you can convert those third downs, then you're going to get lots of running plays. You're going to extend drives. But 
teams pass it a lot on third down, even on third and two, even on third and three, even on third and four, situations where you think they might run it. They're passing it a lot, even teams that like to run the ball a lot. So ultimately, it's still the pass that's extending those drives because those are the plays that really matter, not whether you're getting zero yards or three yards on first down. Yeah, we had Aaron Schatz on the program earlier this year, and he mentioned that there is a scenario in which teams pass too much, and it's actually third and short. On third and short is when you should be running the ball, and that's when teams decide to pass, but then they go ahead and run on second and ten, when you should be passing every time. Yeah, I mean, the thing is about about the running, too, is if you commit to going on fourth down, if you have, let's say, one, two, maybe a yard and a half or less, if you're committed to that, then if it's third and four, you know, it's okay to run the ball in that circumstance. I mean, that is really playing against what teams may think. If you only get two, three yards, you know what? You're just going to go for it on fourth down anyways. Yeah, and you have a quarterback sneak for a yard. It's not a big deal. This isn't hard. It really isn't. It really isn't. It's just amazing that you get to this point. It's just very simple. The NFL coaches love to make it sound hard, like Jason Garrett explaining why he punted on fourth and one on the opposing team's 42-yard line. Like, that actually happened last week. You know that, right? You saw that? I saw that. I saw that. Yeah, with Ezekiel Elliott, with everything else. I still have a red mark on my forehead from slapping myself. I mean, the 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 Cowboys, the success they had a couple of years ago, set back thinking a long way because, of course, you know, you draft the first round running back, you turn things around. Of course, it was their success converting on third down with Dak that was really that was really providing what they were doing. But the thing is, you have 32 teams in the NFL. You have 16 games. It's not a lot of games. That's 500 something games. So. One of those, you know, a few of those 32 teams, even if every team just had the same crap strategy, there are a few of those teams that are going to do well. And then you're going to point to those teams and say, hey, look, crap strategy is good. You know, and that and that's what ends up happening way too often. That's why and it's a high profile team like America's team. So one of the most backward teams in the league can actually pollinate bad ideas across the league, like spores of nonsense. You're struggling on that one a little bit. Um, I did. I did. I try, dude. I try to add some poetry to the podcast. But, yeah, I mean, the thing is coaches want to believe that, right? Because what's easier for a coach than to just tell – just hand the ball off a bunch of times and slowly march down the field – and then try have the opposite done to you on the other end. I mean, you don't have to think. You don't have to scheme as much. You don't have to do anything. Like you, it, it's so low risk. So coaches love that. So they're definitely going to buy in when that ends up happening. And uh, hopefully things are starting to to be. Sh- to, we're seeing a shakeout though this year. That's why I'm really. Excited. Oh, it's big. It's big. It's happening. The NFL analytics movement is on, baby. It's happening. Just listen to Mike Leach. Did you hear what Mike Leach said about? The balanced offense? There's nothing balanced about 50% run, 50% pass, because that's 50% stupid. Now, what is balanced is when you have five skill positions, if all five of them are contributing to the offensive effort in a somewhat equal fashion, then that's balanced. But this notion that if you hand it to one guy 50% of the time and then you throw it to a combination of two guys, the other 50%, that you're really balanced and you proudly pat yourself on the back uh, uh, and tell yourself that. And people have been doing that for decades. Well, then you're delusional. 
And I like hearing him say that if only because if you look at the Patriots, it's gotten a little bit less so, but especially a couple of years ago, their run pass splits would change dramatically based upon opponent mostly. Um, it, it wasn't and game score. It, it was scored to a degree, but they were they were you know passing the ball a ton sometimes even when they were they were winning games by by quite a bit depending upon opponent. And I think Belichick, if he wasn't pretending to be this grump, uh, you know numbers stats are for losers. If he wasn't pretending to be this grump. Yeah, Belichick likes to channel Jason Garrett like an older, crustier Jason Garrett just to divert attention away from the analytics that they're actually using. Because it's a strategic advantage. In his defense, there probably is a reason for him to kind of play dumb and not not give away too much because teams are willing to lap up whatever whatever he says and implement whatever he says. I mean, most of the time I think that's a that's a false concern for teams to to give away things because everyone just does what they want to do anyway. In his case, that that may actually be true, so I get it. Fifty percent run, fifty percent pass. Well, that's not a balanced offense. That's fifty percent stupid. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically what he said. What he said it was interesting is if I give my running back 50% of the carries and each wide receiver gets 5% total opportunities, so that's not balanced at all. If you want to actually be balanced, you get all of your players involved that are on the field equally, and if you count the wide receiver and running back equally, then you should be running the ball 20% of the time, not 50% of the time. Think about it. That's an interesting way to look at it that I'd never considered. Yeah, I mean, think about the resources that are being put into... He goes, that's balanced! For some teams, only half of what they're doing. I mean, and I mean, an even more obvious thing is you're gaining a lot more yards. I mean, you're getting like 50% more yards uh, every single time you pass the ball versus every single time you run the ball. So getting 50-50, it doesn't really make sense. What you want to do is you want to get a mix that's going to maximize your total yards per play. So obviously you're going to want to skew towards passing a little bit more than running just to do that. I mean, it's, it's kind of obvious. And we're seeing that, like you said, with NFL play calling this year. We are in the midst of an analytics renaissance in the NFL. If you had to pick an arbitrary percentage, how much more optimal are NFL play calls in 2018 versus 2017? Um... Somewhere between maybe 30 and 50. I think that's about the proportion of the league that's really that's really adopting it. That's a huge number, Kevin. I mean, it's it's true, though. I mean, well, yeah, you know, when we see what's going on, there, there are a couple different things that are happening. The the yards per attempt for passing isn't necessarily going up that that much more. But what you're seeing is you're seeing higher completion percentages, higher success rates, a little bit lower as far as the depth of target, but more run after catch. And what those are, those are all indications that you're substituting even more so. You're substituting run for pass. You're realizing that you can sustainably move the ball, passing the ball, and you give yourself a lot more upside by by run after catch than you do handing it off to the running back and making them you know, have to juke four defenders in the hole in order to, to bust something big. So I, I think that's that's happening a lot, and it's really the I, th I say Sean McVay may be as big of a factor as what the Eagles have done, but obviously the Eagles winning the Super Bowl, you have McVay, you have Peterson, and then you also have some Shanahan, although he's a little bit more old school, so I don't know how much of that's going into it. But everyone wants to replicate what these teams are doing, and it's like, duh, it makes sense to do what these quarterbacks and what these college teams have been doing uh, before they came to the pros and, what, and how they've been winning at that level. A 
lot of rumors circulating that the Eagles are going to go out and trade for a running back, LaShawn McCoy, Le'Veon Bell, but thus far they have not done that, implying that running back doesn't matter, which is something we already knew. So now it's down to Smallwood and Clement. If you had to pick one, who would you pick for this week? Well, for this week, I'm going to go with Smallwood just because I think you want to, I think for, for this particular week, he's probably going to have a little bit more as far as workload going forward. I don't know. I mean, it, it, it's really a coin flip. And if they're doing what they should be doing in Philadelphia, not only you have these guys splitting up the load, but I mean, you can, you can even, you can even pick up running backs that aren't necessarily some of these high price guys and start to bring them, bring them in. So I, I don't see a real compelling reason for them to turn it over to someone and make them a workhorse. Uh, so going forward, I think you can take a shot at, uh, on either one of them, whichever one's the most cheapest going forward. But for this week, I'd probably stick with the uh, with Smallwood. Either way, it's going to be one of these straight down the middle committees where the running backs rotate drives. There isn't a discernible skill set between these two. These are very similar running backs. So I think what they're going to do is just rotate them to keep them fresh. And that's not what you want in fantasy football. You'd like to have a guy getting most of the targets, most of the goal line carries. And then it's easier to project how he'll produce in any given week. This situation in Philadelphia is a stay away. because I don't think they even need to sign a fringe running back because they have a fringe running back in Josh Adams. Josh Adams runs a 4.56 at 213 pounds. So he's one of these replacement level between the tackles grinders and we've seen Corey Clement and Wendell Smallwood are adequate in the passing game they'll get Darren Sproles back I actually think they're going to be fine it's a great case study for why running back doesn't matter now you also do NFL power rankings this was exciting when I found out that you do NFL power rankings who are the two biggest surprises on the positive side and the negative side when you finished this week's power rankings yeah, I mean, there may be a difference between who the public is surprised by and who I'm surprised by. I mean, I'll say that... No, who you're surprised by. <laughs> All right. Uh, who I'm surprised by. Well, it's not the the highest ranking by, by far, but I'm actually surprised that the Oakland Raiders are coming in a little bit below league average, which you'd expect... I mean, I'm talking about 17th, so very little bit below league average. I think most people would place them as being a pretty poor team. Awful. Obviously, they haven't done well. The defense hasn't been good, but offensively, they've been playing really well. Uh, but I don't think people understand how well they've been playing. They haven't been able to convert in the red zone. I saw that a lot of Derek Carr's red zone stats, and people are throwing around all these narratives about that. I mean, red zone efficiency is extremely volatile. Everyone was all over, you know, Sarkeesian, what they were doing in Atlanta. Now they've scored like 20 straight touchdowns in the red zone. You don't really know what's going to happen there. So in Derek Carr's rookie season, the one positive metric on his entire profile was his red zone completion percentage. It's one of the least sticky metrics in the history of football. Yeah, so it, it, I found no correlation between someone's first 100 pass attempts and their next 100 um, specifically that was prompted by this, this talk about, uh, Marcus Mariota and what he had done a, a couple of years ago. So the Raiders, I have them as being, like I said, a league average team, but they've been very successful. They've had some bad turnovers. Um, they haven't had easy games either. I mean, playing the Rams, playing in Denver, uh, playing against a much improved uh, Browns team, flying to Miami to play the Dolphins. They've had some long travel road games. 
they were much better than the Dolphins that year. So I think everyone, and you, you put on, you layer on top of that the the pessimism around Gruden and everything else. So I think generally my rankings value offense more than defense because it's more stable and more predictable going forward. So their defense has been crap, but their offense has been much better than expected. So that's the reason that we're saying, hey, you know, these guys are about a. A league average team, and and if you look at how they're being how they're being compared to other teams, I mean they're a three point underdog at home against the Seahawks, and it's not like the Seahawks have been very good this year. What about the Browns? Where are the Browns? I need to know where you have the Browns. Okay, so I'm trying to be conservative with upgrading. Dude, please, can you just not please just this once and just let it fly with the Browns? So they're they're not that high. They're 22nd, but there's a, oh. there's there's not much there's not much that separates you know 22 from 13 basically. There's only there's only a, a couple of real points there. I mean the problem is. They have been they haven't been as good as people might think with Mayfield because they've had so many drops. Now the, those drops should fade away. They should have converted a lot of third downs. Their play calling has also just been atrocious. Uh, getting getting Mayfield into very poor no third down situations that he's been able to convert. So I mean I, I think that's a conservative ranking, but at the same time. Um, it's difficult to model in the, the the impact that he's going to have and the impact it's going to have for all of those players going from one to two years of experience. And and they've really been carried by their defense and by turnovers this year. Uh, turnovers very you know very unstable, uh, uh, as unstable as you get. Defense somewhat unstable. So we're, I, I'm still in in wait and see mode for them. But you know I love Mayfield, so mm-hmm. I, I wouldn't be surprised if this is conservative. How much better would the Browns be? If Sashi Brown were still the general manager, I don't know if they would be any better this year because what's holding about, I mean, they would have drafted Mayfield. My guess is they would not have taken anyone at four, let alone. I mean, I, I, I wasn't part of the Denzel Ward versus versus uh, versus Chubb, who who should be taken, because I kind of thought both prospects probably were not worth that pick in the context of a draft where teams would be willing to trade up to get a quarterback. Guess what? Denzel Ward is playing phenomenal football. Oh, he definitely is. And that was a slam dunk pick by John Dorsey. I am not a John Dorsey fan, but I have to tip my cap. I'm not wearing a cap. I'll tip my headphones. I'm going to tip something. I have to tip something to this guy for this Denzel Ward pick. Plus 30.1, top 12 coverage rating as a rookie shadowing opposing number one wide receivers. This guy is the truth, and it's just very exciting to see a young defense becoming good and soon to become great. I mean, if I knew what I knew now, how Ward has played, I I would have uh, I would have agreed with the pick. The thing is, going into it, I mean, first of all, Dorsey, and you're like, okay, I'll tip I'll tip my cap that he took Mayfield, who who I think Brown would have taken. He took Ward, but but he was you know he was literally able to draft the top two players on his board. That's right, because of Sashi Brown, and then he squandered second, third, and fourth rounds. Three, he took a guard who's played six snaps this year. He took a running back at 35. He traded away the first pick in the third round for Tyrod Taylor, which I'm not, I wasn't that, I wasn't that against. And then in the middle of the third round, he took, he took Chad Thomas, who stinks. So, you know, he, he got, he, he missed on quite a few picks there, but I'll, I'll give him credit for that one. But my point being that Sashi, I think he still would have said, let's get another first round pick. That's right. See, that's the thing. He would have continued the golden loom approach, acquiring more picks in the future and just keeping the good times rolling 
now into perpetuity. Maximizing 2018 wouldn't have been the main focus. I don't know about the Landry. So, like, I, I don't think the Landry deal is bad. But again, you're you're trading away a couple of picks, and I don't think maximizing 2018 would have would have been his call necessarily. Why not just sign Allen Robinson and not give up the picks? I don't understand. Allen Robinson might not have wanted to come there, which is key. That's why Baker Mayfield is huge because. Yes, yes, yes. If you look at Alshon Jeffrey, he came to Philadelphia because Carson Wentz was entering a second year there. Alshon Jeffrey, one of the reasons I assume that he came to Chicago is they brought in a new offensive coordinator. They said, we're going to play like that same sort of style. And then if you're any wide receiver in the league, maybe the Browns might be a top five team as far as buzz and popularity at this moment right now. Why would you Why would you not want to come to, for the Browns, uh, go and play for the Browns? You're going to get as much as much hype as you would get any place else. So I, I could see them being able to attract a big name wide receiver in the offseason. Okay, let's play a game. Sure. Overrated? I'll modulate my voice so it sounds cool. Who's the most overrated quarterback in the NFL? Well, this one is a guy who's been overrated for a while, and then he went away, and then he came back. And I'm going with Andrew Luck here. Woof. I know. I know. People. It's like he's. It's good. It's a good comeback story. The shoulder. Is it a good comeback story? Because he's outside the top twenty in air yards per attempt, deep ball completion percentage, adjusted yards per attempt, and true passer rating. Tell me how this is a fairy tale comeback story. He has a plastic shoulder like a Ken doll at this point. Well, for, I mean, forget the shoulder. He wasn't great before. Okay, like he was always overrated before as far as how he played Kevin uh, I'm sorry I forgot this one key metric he is number one in the league in pass attempts (laughs) that helps volume inflating his counting stats which has been the norm for Andrew Luck since he entered the league I mean when you saw though when when they played the Patriots in the last game I mean I don't know about you but my my Twitter feed what I was hearing from the commentators on TV other things the overwhelming consensus was yeah uh, the, the the you know the the Colts lost the defense didn't look good but they're in good shape because Andrew Luck is is mm-hmm. playing well and I was thinking to myself he's not really playing well he's not playing well so I, I I just I don't think he's a I top don't get it half quarterback at this point and the the team is so bad that um i'm just not that confident he's going to be able to 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 lead them going forward so for 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 that i would be much lower on on luck than consensus most overrated running back you know this is a tough one because i actually think a lot of the running backs near the top are not overrated from at least a production standpoint so the guy that that I'm going to go with here, he's a little bit lower down. So I, I don't think that he's like on the top of everyone's list. But I still think anyone talking about Adrian Peterson and just annoys me. So I'm going to say Adrian Peterson is the most. <laughs> That's is the always most a good one. You could always go with the guy that whipped his kid. You can always <laughs> go with that guy and everyone will applaud. Most overrated wide receiver. Most overrated wide receiver. Uh, who did I put down here? Okay, well, this is this is like a short termism, but. Uh, Calvin Ridley, everything that's going on with with him right now, like let's let's slow down, people. Let's slow down, people. He's not even that involved. I understand he's got some touchdowns. We're getting clips. There's a lot of a lot of people got the all twenty two. They like to they like to show the all twenty two clips of him making some some move and, and going forward. You know, making moves on the DBs. Let let's let's slow our roll here. Uh, Why don't you get out the all twenty two and splice some clips of Tyler Boyd? Who would you rather have right now? They're the same age, Tyler Boyd or Calvin Ridley, if you're starting a franchise today? 
I don't know. That's a toss-up, quite honestly. Well, that's the point. The point is that that's a toss-up. And yet the droning sports fan out there thinks it's a slam dunk for Calvin Ridley. Not so fast. Who's the most overrated tight end? This is going to seem way off, but... I don't. The tight end is such a just a crap fest. I felt bad even asking this question. That I'm just gonna go straight to the top. In that I saw a question asked on Twitter the other day of who is the top tight end in the NFL, and the fact that it, or who would you who would you take if you could take any tight end for the next five years, and the fact that everyone was not saying Travis Kelsey made me perplexed. So the fact that so many people were saying Ertz over Kelsey d- didn't make any sense to me. So I'm gonna say I'm gonna say Ertz is the most overrated tight end in, in the NFL. I mean Kelsey, if he was seeing the sort the sort of volume that that Ertz can see, I, I don't even want to know the numbers he would put up. So you don't think that Zach Ertz is a better tight end than Rob Gronkowski or Travis Kelsey, even though Zach Ertz is scoring more fantasy points per game than both. Correct. Uh, yeah, I think I think Travis Kelsey is probably the best tight end in the NFL or 1-2 with, with Gronk. They're pretty close. Yeah, they're the same guy. They're each other's doppelganger. Zach Ertz is still a pumped-up move tight end. If you're starting a franchise today, Zach Ertz would be down your list because he's a great receiver, but he's not a proper NFL tight end in the way that Travis Kelsey and Rob Gronkowski are and that they win in all phases. But when you look at this Eagles offense and you expect growth throughout the season, improvement from Carson Wentz, and you see what Zach Ertz has already produced, he's probably going to outscore Rob Gronkowski in fantasy this year. Well, I, I'm not, I wouldn't doubt that at all. I'm talking about purely on... I'm just saying from a fantasy football standpoint, Rob Gronkowski has a lot of catching up to do already. Yeah, I'm just saying Travis Kelsey has been, for the moment he stepped on the field, for the last five and a half years, he's been, I mean, the last four and a half years, he's been awesome pretty much the entire time. Zach Ertz was like a perpetual breakout candidate for like the first four years he did pretty well the last couple of years but you know we're still talking about 824 816 yards i mean in 14 games so it's a little bit discounted but he's just been extremely high volume uh those two years getting 110 targets a year in in a shortened season so i mean if kelsey could see anywhere near that that volume he's going to put up much bigger numbers yeah when the number two wide receiver in the passing game is nelson Aguilar, one of the most fraudulent wide receivers we've seen in many years i think that nelson Aguilar is closer to his first two seasons in the league than what we've seen over the last 20 games from Nelson Aguilar. He's simply not an impressive player. It was touchdown-fueled last year. And as the number one option, without Alshon Jeffrey, put up a grand total of 12 fantasy points per game. Fraud. Nelson Aguilar, fraud. That's the reason Zach Ertz has been so productive. Now, if you look at fantasy football drafting, the zero RB drafters are having a lot of success this year, but also those that went RB and then wide receiver times four because it was near impossible to miss in the first round. You remember a first round with so many hits? I mean, you have Leonard Fournette, Le'Veon Bell. Outside of those two guys, anyone else you drafted is producing for you. It's crazy. It is pretty crazy. I mean, it's great. It's, gr- it's a great thing. I mean, it started a little slow for um, for Kareem Hunt, and now now that's turned around a bit. I mean, I think well, what's what's crazy about it is not only the fact that you have so much production, you, it, like such a high hit rate, but there were so many of them, right? There were so many running backs that were going early, 
And I think we're seeing how there was this, you know, the, run, the zero running back was predicated a lot on PPR and the receiving volume. But now you're seeing all of these running backs get involved in the receiving game. Todd Gurley hasn't been a, as to much of a degree this year, but still, you know, he, he's a guy who relied on a lot last year and is relying on it this year. So all these guys, there, there are no... There are no guys who are saying, you know, we're not going to get them involved in the passing game at all, except for maybe uh, Fournette or someone like that who, in limited time. Yeah, you shouldn't be drafting Fournette anyway because he's not a strong receiver. The play was Christian McCaffrey. If you were thinking about drafting Leonard Fournette, you should not have done that. Just draft Christian McCaffrey. And all the running backs drafted after Christian McCaffrey on draft boards have essentially flamed out other than Joe Mixon, but Joe Mixon missed two games. So I mean, the thing about the production that McCaffrey's getting this year Incredible. with only 63 you know, rushing attempts, barely any rushing attempts, only one touchdown, one receiving touchdown, and he's still getting the production that he's getting. So I, I just think we're entering a new dynamic, and that's kind of part of what I talked about, the league shifting and scheming and wanting to replace the run with the short pass. Replacing the run with a short pass for a running back is great for P- is in, in PPR scoring. That's right. Yeah, it's counterintuitive, but it's great, especially if you're Christian McCaffrey. Is he the next Marshall Falk in the NFL? Is that possible? Well, I mean, Falk, like all running backs, is a product of his offense. So I think at that point, that was an offense that defied you know, the, the time as far as, as what they were able to do, passing the ball, spreading teams out, doing things like that. So I, I think he fits that that mold he definitely fits that mold but Kamara is the one that's actually delivering the Marshall Falk numbers exactly when Mark Ingram's not playing what are your expectations for Kamara versus Ingram the rest of the way you know I, I really don't know what to expect I mean that was I was a little bit shocked by how how Ingram stepped in the way he did because it wasn't as if he was being ridden when the game was completely out of of control, right? I mean, he was in there at the very beginning. I, I, I think there's there's some low-key possibility that this was like a breather week, essentially, um, because of the oh yeah, because of the workload that that that, that, that Kamara's had. It's home. It was against the Redskins, who are you know they're they're not bad, but but they're seen as being a, a more of a defensive team, a strong a strong defensive team that can get at the quarterback, things like that. So maybe they thought we'll throw him off with with Ingram. I, you know, I don't really know what to expect going forward, but I know that if anyone is t- completely tilted on on Kamara, then this is the time to probably be be floating out some trade offers. One of the other reasons that the RB wide receiver times for draft concept works so well this year is because the NFL is moving away from the alpha dog wide receiver in the passing game. There's a few guys that are commanding a significant number of targets. They're the guys we know. DeAndre Hopkins, Odell Beckham, Julio Jones, Antonio Brown. But in Antonio Brown's case... Even in DeAndre Hopkins' case, when Will Fuller is healthy, there's a strong number two option across the field from them. And that's what we're seeing around the NFL. The the running back targets are up, and the three and four receiver sets are up, and the target shares of the number two and the number three receivers are up. Who's your favorite number two receiver in the NFL? Yeah, you know, I was thinking about this this quite a bit. Okay, well, first of all, I, I want to back up for a second and talk about this. What's what's going on with the with the NFL with these yeah. with the uh, with spreading out? So we talked about concepts, right? So these air raid concepts, these other college scheme concepts, were developed by schools 
that did not have talent. Okay, they did not have wide receiver one talent, like Northwestern, for example. <laughs> right, like Northwestern, even like you know the, the the teams like Texas Tech and others that were coming up. I mean, you saw guys like they had you know, they had Crabtree for a little bit there, who put up some big stats. But but other than that, what what you're doing is I made sure to say Northwestern because there's been zero wide receiver talent to come out of Northwestern since Dwayne Bates, and he caught like <laughs> five passes in the NFL. So so with, with these teams. You know, they're trying to create space, so they don't care about player. They don't care about winning matchups. They care about creating open players, and that's what's happening in the NFL, and that's why we're seeing this shift away from, from the wide receiver one. So just to quickly go, I mean— Which is why Cooper Cup outscored Sammy Watkins in fantasy football last year. Exactly. So what you want is a Cooper Cup's a good a good prototype for this. But I mean, my my, my favorite guy, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to harken back to him, even though everyone loves Juju Smith-Schuster, but the reason he's one of my favorite guys is because— Coming out of college, he was so prolific coming out of college. He was so young. And what he does is is really great for today's NFL because he knows how to run a route. He knows how to find space. And he knows how to catch the ball, essentially. A, a lot of these wide receiver ones that are gonna, guys are getting phased out like, like Des Bryant were you know, not so great at running a route. I'm just going to bully someone. And I'm not even necessarily going to have great hands either. But because I'm such a bully, that's what I'm valued for. So I think these guys who know how, how to get open, how to catch the ball – how to find space. Those are the guys you're looking for. And I think feel like Juju Smith-Schuster may be the best in the NFL at doing it. Yeah, wide receivers with some finesse are now being rewarded with the rule changes and the stylistic adaptations that these coaches are installing. So when you're talking about fantasy drafts, who is your highest owned player in fantasy drafts this year? And is that working out for you? I mean, it's it's not very – I mean, it's exciting in that he's done really well, but it's a quarterback. So I had a lot of Pat Mahomes this year. Um, I mean, it, Scott Fishbowl was one in, in particular where I think I took him as the QB eight, maybe, or the QB seven. I saw that. I remember seeing that. I, I didn't want to wait for the next run. So at the time, that seemed kind of high. I mean, he was probably going in the mid teens or something like that. So, but I was just kind of, I was looking at upside. I was looking at that offense. And plus, he's probably my favorite quarterback prospect. I mean, I ranked all the quarterback prospects from the last few years. Uh, earlier before the draft this year, and I have him and him actually won slightly ahead of Baker Mayfield just because of what I felt like he could do uh, with arm strength and things like that. So, so he he was my favorite guy going into the season. So I, I I try to pick him up everywhere. Is he immune to a regression essentially because of the supporting cast and his intrinsic talent? I, I believe so. I mean, I just don't see. I mean, he ran. He did this right. He did this in college. He threw the ball. 50, 60, 70, 80 times a game. I and mean, we're talking about a lot of reps here. And because of that is why you can be confident in what he did in college um, and knowing what he's doing immediately. So I, I don't see much regression. I don't think that the Chiefs or the Rams are doing anything much differently than they were doing last year. So this is not something where they talked about, oh, teams figure it out in the offseason. They obviously didn't figure anything out. Teams have not figured this out because you can't figure out what can't be defensed. Um, and so, so Mahomes doing that, I I just feel like there's too many things going in his favor in conjunction with the fact that the defense stinks. That's the other thing. That's the other thing propelling him because he still has to go out and throw for 300 yards, no matter what, because the defense is so bad. And I I just don't see them laying off of teams because of that. They're going to say I'm up by 21 points. Let's just go score another touchdown. Yeah. That's the beauty of it. Patrick Mahomes is the only player in the NFL that can continue to sustain unsustainable production. So how was he picked three slots after Josh Allen a year later? I mean, how is that possible? Josh Allen, the year before his final season, he and Darnold were considered 
potential number one picks. The year before Pat Mahomes' final season, he was not even on the radar for, for, for most people. Is that because he was viewed as a system quarterback? I, I guess. I mean, he wasn't a— I guess. I mean, I can't explain it. I mean, he had been, he, he'd been playing since midway uh, just a few games into his true freshman season. So at that point, he had a year and a half of, of playing. It wasn't like he didn't have any playing experience. He played well. He was somewhat efficient. But I think people looked at the system. They looked at the volume. They looked at—they actually— Rather than focusing on efficiency, which was still pretty good, they said— It was good. That's the thing. They said, you know what? These numbers are so good. These 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 counting numbers are so good that we're actually going to make it a negative. They must be fake. He must be Luke Falk. So so it, it it doesn't it doesn't work, and we've and you know Big Twelve and Air Raid and uh, a litany of other things, and and, and I, as silly as it sounds, I think the fact that Josh Allen is six five and where Pat Mahomes is six two actually makes a difference. I thought Patrick Mahomes was six four. Yeah, well, that's a lie. Uh, <laughs> what happened? I saw it six four somewhere. Yeah, I know. I, I pointed that out. Where these it's just seeing how these guys are growing as they as they play well in the NFL. So they changed Patrick Mahomes' official height to six four. I, I have no idea. I, I'll, I'll go by what they what they say, what they said, what they said in the combine. We have him at six two, man. So I mean, I think it's a conjunction of all those things. But clearly, I mean, I was saying that a lot this offseason when the Josh Allen hype was going on. It's just like, how can you look at Josh Allen and be more excited than you were about Pat Mahomes? There's really nothing about him, nothing, other than the fact that he's three inches taller. You know who else is six two? Aaron Rodgers. <laughs> Well, yeah, Aaron, you know, funny, Aaron Rodgers may be, uh, he's more of a Baker Mayfield analogy, I would say, than a, than, uh, even though Baker Mayfield ended up going number one in the draft, but the way that he was thought of as far as a system guy, if you read what was said about Aaron Rodgers going into the draft, it was, you can't trust the system. He's great, but you can't trust the system. Can't trust the system. Ted, Ted Tedford, you can't trust the system. Can't trust the system. It was being said about him over and over and over again because Kyle Bowler, who had objectively god-awful numbers, was somehow being put into the same category as Aaron Rodgers as a first-round bust because they came from the same school and the same system. Same principle applies comparing Jared Goff to Davis Webb. Yeah, exactly. I mean, Jared Goff, it's it, like the, the air raid quarterbacks couldn't be doing better at this point. And I, th- I thought it was funny because when this Big 12 quarterback, air raid quarterback narrative was going around, there were a lot of people who were actually pretty strong analytically who would say, you know what, there might be something to this. I remember Football Outsiders in their Cubase analysis of Patrick Mahomes, they were high on Mahomes, relatively high, although he was dragged down quite a bit from the fact that his scout rating was so low. But they were relatively high. But they wrote something specifically in the write-up saying, well, you know, we've missed on on Big 12 quarterbacks in the past, so this could be this could be too high. I mean, we're talking about, what, five guys, ten guys maybe that you've missed on in the past? Well, all those fallacies have been smashed now. The system quarterback fallacy, Baker Mayfield and Patrick Mahomes have smashed that forever. The Big 12 doesn't produce quarterback. Get out of here with these nonsense narratives. God, thank you, Patrick Mahomes. Thank you, Baker Mayfield. We owe you a debt of gratitude. Now they'll just draft shitty quarterbacks from the Big 12 going forward. That'll be that'll be the fl- <laughs> that'll be the flip go. You have to draft a Big 12 quarterback. So you decide to just put your trust in Patrick Mahomes this offseason in fantasy football. You were rewarded. Was there a guy that you wanted to trust? You thought you could trust, but for some reason you just couldn't hoard him and then he ends up breaking out and you're kicking yourself. Is that guy out there for you? I mean, I think there there are a couple of guys that fit into that bucket. I mean, Tyler Boyd, you mentioned him earlier. He was a guy coming out. He was the epitome of market share is the only thing that matters. 
Um, but yet he was classified by a lot of people as being a very low upside type of guy because someone with his athleticism, which isn't that bad, but if you're running in the in the high four fives under 200 pounds, you don't see a lot of success from, from, from guys in that sort of category. So he was a guy that I wasn't as hyped on this year, in particular because of John Ross and what, what may end up happening there. So I lost the faith. I, I passed yep. on him quite a bit, and I got burnt. The most underrated slot receiver in the league coming into 2018 was Tyler Boyd. Here's a question. This is a stumper. You ready for this one? I'm ready. Who's a better running back? Is it Carlos Hyde or Isaiah Crowell? I mean, they're, you talk about replacement replacement level. This is what I'm talking about. This is what I'm talking about. I think it's a hard question. I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna only lean towards Hyde just because. I don't know. I mean, he he yeah, see, he, he got know. he got more money, I guess. Yeah, here you go. That's it. I got he got more money. That's all we needed, right there. That's it. Do you think Austin Eckler is the next Danny Woodhead? Oh, I think he's better than Danny Woodhead. What? Quite honestly, I mean, the guy is a stud. Stud, right? Stud. We talk about a player I didn't trust, but but I didn't want to trust was Melvin Gordon. And one of the reasons that I didn't trust him is because I mean, I'm like, why is Eckler not better? than Melvin Gordon, you know? I mean, I, I understand people saying Melvin Gordon is good because he put up such great stats on such high volume, but, he, you know, he's never a great efficiency guy. He's been better this year, no doubt, but he's never a great efficiency guy. So my, my, my thought was, you know, Eckler, Eckler could, could be just as good. Now, I didn't expect Eckler to be, you know, the number 15 running back while Gordon was the number three, both at the same time. So in some ways, I am I'm right by the fact that they're both producing such as such an insane amount that you would just expect the pie would not be big enough for both of them to do what they're doing. But I mean, e Eckler, I feel like is it's just an awesome running back and all NFL teams should be trying to get just a few of these guys. If we forget, forget riding one guy, just get a few Ecklers. Who is the only rookie running back to exceed expectations this season? The only rookie running back to exceed expectations. Um, His name is Philip Lindsay, and he fits the Austin Eckler mold perfectly. In fact, the Denver Broncos are utilizing Lindsay at a higher rate than the Chargers are utilizing Austin Eckler, which begs the question, when will Green Bay start utilizing Aaron Jones fully? I mean, Mike McCarthy is top five Wot uh, coaches. So who knows? I mean, Aaron Rodgers was at was, was begging, was begging for him, right? There's not much of an investment in Jamal Williams. I mean, it's only a fourth round pick, so I think the Eckler Gordon thing makes sense. You know, the the the, the current. The guys who drafted Gordon early are still there, so they probably feel like they're still going to continue to to play him forever with the lion's share. So, I mean, it, it it could happen. It could happen for Aaron Jones. Let's hope it happens. Let's hope that McCarthy is somehow gone next year. I think that would that would be great. Not only would it unlock Aaron Rodgers to potentially rewriting record books type of season, um, but it could also unlock guys like Aaron Jones. Can you imagine if the Green Bay Packers went out and hired Mike Leach? As their offensive coordinator, it would be it would be something to behold. I mean, right? The air raid offense in Green Bay. Can you imagine, Kevin? I mean, Marquez Valdez Scantling would be a WR one. <laughs> right? I mean, the Green Bay offense is just like slant, quick out, quick slant, quick out on both sides every single play. It's 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 probably it's one of the worst offenses ever. Give him some help. Give Aaron Rodgers some scheme help. He can't do it all by himself. I mean, he's amazing at holding the ball and doing well. This is another thing. I know people thought that I was insane when I was saying this, but 
a lot of people put the Drew Brees uh, Baker Mayfield comparison, but to me, what Baker has done this year, where they're you know they're bringing in some of his concepts, but quite honestly, they're not giving him much help. Okay, Todd Haley is not giving him a lot of help. He's running. You know who their number three receiver is going to be this week? Derek Willies. Derek Willies' second NFL catch was that was his catch in, in overtime, which he had there. And if he gets hurt, it'll be Damian Ratley. I mean Mayfield holds the ball quite a bit sometimes, but that's because he knows what he's doing. And the way he holds the ball and creates things on a, on a secondary read, on a scramble type of play, on the receivers adjusting, reminds me very much of what Aaron Rodgers does. Not really Drew Brees, who's the ball out of his hands much more quickly. Is there similarities to Russell Wilson in that way? Russell Wilson is a unique athlete where I don't... I mean, I think their college stats were very similar, but... Mayfield cannot do what Russell Wilson does. He can't scramble like Russell Wilson does. Few players can. So so he's more of Aaron Rodgers. He's more of create time in the pocket, move around a bit. Russell Wilson is more, I can go out of the back of any pocket at any time, no matter where the rush is coming from. So I, I, I don't think they're similar in that way. Do you remember that two years ago we talked about the specific scenario, the environment that would allow Russell Wilson to be fully unlocked, and we described this team structure where the offensive line improves nominally and the defense implodes and Russell Wilson is forced to ratchet up the volume in order to win games, and it's all playing out exactly as we laid it out two years ago in Seattle. The problem is the fantasy points aren't there, the problem is the res, but the result is not fantasy points. What the fuck? You got you got got Schottenheimered. Is that it? Is that really it? Can you can can these guys be more backwards in their analysis of what's going on? I mean, it's it's insane. It's insane. It's like every day they're coming out with a new a new debunked theory about how running the ball helped. You know, just oh, well, we ran the ball really well, and that's why our play action worked well. They lost number one, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it's it's all it's all been debunked. It's all nonsense. Schottenheimer is the epitome of a cocoon coach who should who should be gone. I mean, I think that's what we need. It's, we I mean, we've never seen Russell Wilson in an offense where he could just he could just sling. He could just sling, and uh, hopefully we see that someday. Unfortunately, the air raid offense in Seattle. Oh, oh, oh wait, 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 wait! I know a coach who currently lives in Washington. It would be a short commute for him to call plays for the Seattle Seahawks. His name's Mike Leach! Oh my god! He could be the first coach in the history to coach both a college team and a professional team simultaneously. Mike Leach working one day a week for the Seahawks would be an improvement over Brian Schottenheimer. I mean, can you imagine Wilson back in the gun every single play, deciding whether he wants to run it or not? You don't even, like I said, the, the key with the offense is you don't need a lot of talent. You just need guys who are going to have some, some decent speed and can find spaces. That guy is David Moore, by the way. 108.7, 88th percentile speed score for David Moore. He was also productive at a small school, East Central Oklahoma. My God, that's a small school. But he has well above average burst, speed, and was a dominant college producer at an early age. So technically, David Moore offers everything we want. Size-adjusted athleticism and age-adjusted college production, yes, at a small school, but David Moore has already surpassed 
Brandon Marshall on the depth chart. It happened over the last two weeks. He's earned a 50% snap share. He's the guy that's in there in three receiver sets. And last week, he delivered two touchdowns. If you're looking for this week's Marquez Valdez-Scantling, it very well could be David Moore. It very well could be. I mean, if I wasn't so negative on the entire offense... That's the problem. That That's the reason he's not MVS, because Seattle's not Green Bay. They are playing the Raiders. And like I mentioned earlier this week, the Raiders score points, and the Raiders give up points. Um, and the Raiders love to give up passing yards also. So it, there, I think there's a chance here. David Moore. If they don't you know, get the run established, for the love of God, then they can, they can pass the ball a lot. And Brandon Marshall is one of these dinosaurs where, I mean, I, I love Marshall as a player, but he fits the prototype of the guy that you actually don't need in today's NFL because he is a, he's a bully who gets open even when he's not open, and he drops a lot of balls because he's just like a tight end basically playing, playing wide receiver. So uh, it should be no surprise that he's gonna that he he gets passed on the depth chart. The question is, will they be insane and just continue to run the ball when they don't need to? And that that's the problem. Hopefully, the Raiders will be able to score enough points. No Earl Thomas. Everything else is going on there. That that won't happen this week. All right, another game underrated. I'll do the whole modulation thing again because I know you care about that. Of the quarterbacks we have not yet discussed, who's the most underrated? Well, you're probably not going to like this one a whole lot, being from, from past history. But I'm going to say it, it, it's shocking to say this. What happened? What was happening in the offseason? But I'm going to say Deshaun Watson is actually the most underrated quarterback in the NFL right now. I think there's this weird thing that happened. Very fickle with Deshaun Watson is that this year, you know, obviously he's coming off an ACL. Most people, when they watched Deshaun Watson this year, they watched him. Obviously, they watched him just play Dallas in a in an island game, which was unbearable to watch. So maybe a lot of people actually didn't see him. And a lot of people saw and were excited about week one against the New England Patriots. And he stunk. He flat out stunk week one. But he's been pretty good since then. He's been over 300 yards each week since week one. Think about that. And the yards per attempt have been over 8.5 each and every week. The problem is he's also thrown an interception each of those weeks. And that's what the casual football fan notices. But when you look at the interceptable passes and interceptable passes per attempt on Player Profiler, he's actually throwing less interceptable passes per attempt this year than he did last year. It's just that the variance has flipped. Instead of those interceptable passes getting dropped by defenders like they were last year, now defenders are gobbling them up every single time. So that yeah, me exactly what you're saying. He's playing at the same level or better than where than where he was playing last year. He's absolutely playing better. And he hasn't been able to run as much. He's almost turning me around. I'll never take an L on him because I'm never taking an L on a player again. Cooper Cup was the last player I took an L on, and you'll never hear the word L tumble from my lips ever again. I'll run out the clock for 10 years on Deshaun Watson. Again, maybe in 10 years, if he's still good, I'll take the L. Deshaun Watson. I mean, that's he's he, he he's my guy. He's he, he's my guy. I don't think he's I don't think he is a top three type of quarterback that people thought he was, but I think he's solidly in the top ten. And for some reason, people seem to be ignoring that this year. Six point two deep balls per game is number two in the NFL. He's the quarterback we want and the quarterback we need, but the fickle sports fan is already questioning him for unknown, absurd reasons. Who's the most underrated running back in the NFL? There are a lot of choices here for for guys that I can. Are there? 
I mean, I think so. We already said Eckler, so you can't say Eckler. Can't say Aaron Jones. We, saw, we talked about him already. I mean, there, there, there are a couple of guys where it's just like I just don't understand why they're not getting more opportunity. Now, another one of your your favorites, Kenyon Drake. I just don't understand why he's not he's not getting more opportunity in Miami. So he's a guy that I would say. Oh, I'm so sorry. I was yawning. What did you say? Who did you mention? And then, and then uh, another guy that I that I've loved for multiple years, but you're probably never going to get the volume that you want to see is Jalen Richard. I feel like he's just a he's a stud. He's that space back that we talk about. If the Raiders were running a modern offense, he would be getting five plus targets per game. But as it currently stands, he's a game script dependent guy. When it's negative game script, he gets five plus targets. When there's any positive game script whatsoever, or the game plan dictates whatever, he doesn't get a touch. Well, my, my thing is there is no like he doesn't get a designation as a as a niche back. What you do is you just have a few of these guys, and they're in on every single play, and then you Mike leech it up. And you say, we're just going to call a pass play every single play and then potentially check into a run. So these are the type of guys that should just be out there on every single play. Why? Because 50% pass, 50% run is 50% stupid. Yeah, you got to work on that accent a little bit. but Well, let me try it again. Why? Because 50% pass, 50% run is stupid. I mean, <laughs> the interesting thing about Leach is he's kind of insane, too. Like, he's literally insane. Oh, yeah. He's a madman. I love him. He's like Infowars insane. But anyway, go ahead. Is he more insane than Brian Schottenheimer and Mike McCarthy? If you're measuring levels of insane, I would argue that Mike Leach's conspiracy theories are less insane than the thought process turning in the mind of a Brian Schottenheimer or a Mike McCarthy. Can I mention Devontae Adams, even though you already talked about him? Because he was the guy that I had pegged. We didn't talk about Devontae Adams Well, yet. you said that he stinks. No, I said Nelson Aguilar stinks. Oh, sorry, you're right. Well, I get the two confused. Well, I always get these two confused. Both of them were so abysmal in their first two seasons in the league, the least efficient wide receivers, and then Devontae Adams ascended. Nelson Aguilar never did. So I feel like Adams is... It's not that he's bad. It's just, is he a top 10 type of type of wide receiver? I don't think so. He just produced WR1 numbers against Darius Slay, who was a top five cornerback coming into last week. Now he's outside the top 10 on our metrics because he had to face Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers, and that's what happens to cornerbacks. I mean, it, hel it helps having Aaron Rodgers is, is what I'll say. It does help a lot. <laughs> I mean, Devontae Adams is interesting because he's like a, he's like a good yak sort of sort of guy. So I get that. But even then, I don't know if they're even necessarily using him. They could probably use him a little bit better than what they do. He would be an awesome number two. He's the perfect number two receiver. He's miscast as a number one. The fact that he's attached, he's attached to Rodgers, I just can't say that I think he's really perceived as he's probably perceived as being a top ten guy. And I, I have trouble seeing that versus a lot of the other top receivers out there. Who's the most underrated tight end? Is this question even worth it? Is it Vance McDonald? Well, I guess. I don't know. Is that your guy? Yeah, we'll just go Vance McDonald. Okay. Okay. We talked about, I, I, I heard you mention, I saw you mention this on Twitter, and I think it's interesting. Nick Chubb versus Sony, Nick Chubb versus Sony Michelle. The metrics say that Nick Chubb is better in every way, including explosiveness. But for some reason, the eye test suggests, oh, Sony Michelle's more explosive. So who's the more explosive, higher upside prospect? Is it Chubb or Michelle? Well, I mean, for me, it's obviously Chubb. I mean, there's a, there's a couple different reasons. First off, let's see what Mike Leach has to say. I got a Chubb for Chubb. That's not his accent. <laughs> I mean, like, it's a southern accent that's not him. 
I mean, it's it's first of all, we're talking about two running backs who were drafted too high, but the 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 least worst pick, at least from from a, a standpoint of of who this guy could end up being, is Chubb for me because I mean, I think people forget how good he was. He was he was like better than Gurley essentially, and how he played before he had this catastrophic knee injury. He was that good. He was amazing. Oh, freshman year, Nick Chubb is as good as it gets for a freshman running back. It's the standard. And he he caught passes too. It wasn't like he was just doing it in the in in the running game. He didn't catch a lot of passes, but that's that's the system that they're running there. You know, he caught 18 passes as a freshman. Also, he was averaging 12 yards a reception. He had a couple of touchdowns, so he he was doing it all there. And if you look at what he did in the combine, it, it gave me some confidence that he was back because he was he was running in the low five fours for a guy who's big. He's he's well into his two twenties. He had a, he had an explosive broad jump, pretty explosive vert. So he he had those kind of explosion metrics that look good. Michelle was slower, lighter, didn't do those other drills, didn't produce as much on the ground, and people seem to think of him as some sort of receiving back. And yeah, he he caught the ball more times than than Chubb did those last couple of years. But it wasn't like he was catching the ball a lot. He had nine receptions his final year. Nine. You know how many receptions he has this year? Uh, no, I do not. Sony Michelle, total targets, six. Six total targets on the year in four games. He's averaging 1.5 targets per game. Oh, big all-purpose back, Sony Michelle. Not so fast. Well, he only has three catches, too. He's being used by the Patriots as a smaller LeGarrette Blunt. LeGarrette Blunt, who they pick up off of the trash heap and insert him in there to dominate. I mean... Oh, but you got to draft Sony Michelle in the first round. That's a good use of draft capital, right? You know, I actually drafted Michelle in some fantasy leagues going into the year because he had fallen so far, and it was like, you know, if if anyone, it wasn't like I thought he was great, but if you think anyone can produce in that role for the Patriots, why not? Um, that that's a head scratcher for me, and I think my theory is Belichick has been on tilt ever since Brady, ever since Brady and Kraft got together and forced him to trade his his his, his son Jimmy Garoppolo. He's just been on tilt since then. He didn't play Butler in the Super Bowl for no reason. He's drafting running backs in the first round. He, he, he doesn't know what he's doing anymore. He doesn't know what he's doing anymore. So he's, he's tilting big time. Bill Belichick is absolutely tilting. So was Matt Miller from Bleacher Report because Matt Miller had Baker Mayfield outside his top 10, but now he comes back and insists, oh, no, no, I believe the Browns should draft Baker Mayfield because he was the right quarterback for that team. Is there a bigger fraud in sports media than Bleacher Reports Matt Miller? I mean, I don't want to I don't want to necessarily. I spent 30 minutes earlier calling Draft Pete Cheat a fraud. So this is what we do on the show. Yeah, I mean, I'll say this that I don't follow the guy. He gets he gets retweeted into or quote tweeted into my mentions and it makes me glad that I don't follow him every single time. So what so what I found is a couple of different things. <laughs> First, I found that he said that on the night of the draft, he says on the night of the draft, because, you know, Baker Mayfield's doing well now, right? The guys, the guys been questioning Baker. Mayfield. He said on the night of the draft, I said that here's the exact quote. He's like, he said, said at the night of the draft, Baker was the best quarterback for Cleveland. They needed a dude to come in and believe he could turn it around. They needed some swagger. So then I found that on his final mock draft, he had Baker Mayfield as his QB four. So below Allen, oh. below Rosen, below Darnold. And, and and so then people got into my mention. They said, well, he didn't say he was the best. He said it was the right quarterback. And I mean, that's just you expect me to believe somebody's going to draft the QB four because he has swaggers. No, it's revisionist history because 
These analysts that take themselves so seriously live and die by the correctness of their sports prognostications. And you can't live that way, man. You're going to be exposed as a fraud eventually. I mean, the thing is, even if you thought, okay, maybe he's just has awful takes and he really believed that a QB4 should be taken number one because of swagger. So maybe believe that. But then I found that in the morning of the, this is published the morning of the draft, the Thursday of the draft, he published a mock draft where he had Sam Darnold number one to the Browns. And he said, he said in here, Darnold should be the pick. He says that Darnold should be the pick. And he only talks about whether they should take Allen or Darnold. He mentions Baker Mayfield as, as people saying he may go number one, but he doesn't talk about Baker Mayfield at all. This is investigative journalism on Roto Underworld Radio. I love this. That is, man, this is pure fraudulence, though. This is a Twitter expose. You cannot say the morning of the draft that Darnold should be the pick, and then six months later, after Baker Mayfield looks great, say, I said it the night of the draft, so either he, he you, you don't trust anything he says because it changes eight hours later, or the guy literally forgets that what he writes is still on the internet, and he's just saying whatever, whatever comes into his mind. Well, he's a raging fraud. He's also not good at this whole football analysis thing because I believe he had a middle linebacker, a running back, and a guard in his top five. And he loves Josh Allen. Trust me. Oh! What? Oh! If it wasn't for the fact that the entire... Brutal! The entire NFL turned on Josh Allen and moved him down, he would have been on Josh Allen. I'm sure he thought Josh Allen was the best long-term prospect. When he says Darnold's the best choice for the... For Cleveland, he specifically says it's because he will not be the worst quarterback, and he has a higher floor. He still believed at the last second that Josh Allen was was the best quarterback in the draft. Woof. He probably thought that the Bears should draft Mitchell Trubisky over Patrick Mahomes, that that was the right pick, even though we know it was the wrong pick. So many NFL draft analysts have been proven wrong over the last couple of years in, in epic fashion, and Matt Miller just needs to take the L, but he never will. And in that way, I, that's the only aspect of his approach that I actually respect. Well, I think I think you're at least self-aware in your non-L takingness. He he literally probably thinks that he liked Baker Mayfield on draft day. Now he's such a fraud that he's defrauding his own consciousness. You you rewrite your own memories every single time you recall them, and and so he's he just he just they're all rewritten at this point. So speaking of Mitchell Trubisky, do you trust him this week against the Dolphins? Because we need to get at least one relevant fantasy take in this show. <laughs> I'm gonna say no. Um, it's it's not that it's you never know what can happen, but he's been he's been bad. Let's face it, he's been bad. Now I thought that he was a good play against the Bucks because they were so bad and everyone was so low on him. At this point, you're going to have to give me more than one good game. Against the worst pass defense in the league? Yeah, so so I mean he's, he's been so consistently bad. I didn't like him coming out of college. Only one year of college history. He had one good year, but then you got to think, okay, why did this guy go to North Carolina, not to Ohio State, if he was the best player in Ohio? Why did he sit for multiple years behind a player who – was an undrafted free agent and then never made an NFL roster. Why was he so bad last year in limited action? Um, there's a lot of questions with the guy, and I don't think one good performance is is over is is overriding all those different questions. Yeah, Mitchell Trubisky's inability to usurp Marquise Williams in his sophomore season at North Carolina is a blemish on his college resume that cannot easily be erased. He's going to need to 
like Derek Carr, he's going to need to put he's going to need to compile he he'll need to lay down multiple efficient seasons in the NFL to erase that blemish. Am I supposed to just uh, weigh in at this point? <laughs> it was just a great you know punctuation on a take by me. It's it's understandable you wouldn't have a, anything to say. Let, let, let's start with two good games, and then we'll see what happens. That's you building. I love how you just built on what I said, and then you, you hit him with the sarcasm, too. I push him to the ground, and then he's getting up, and then you just grab him and knee him in the face. I love that. Tag team. He does kind of have a kneeable face, quite honestly. He does. He does. And I can say that with expertise because I, too, have a kneeable face. So I ask this question every time, and you usually have an interesting answer. Is there anyone out there percolating under the surface that you qualify for truth or status on? I mean, this is going to sound borderline insane. Oh, I can't wait. If he is released and then set free to go someplace else and plays well, I'm still in truth or status on CJ Procise, believe it or not. Oh, really? Yes. I love hearing that because he's that prototype that we talked about, but he's been snake bitten thus far in his career. But he's that guy that played wide receiver in college. He's a great he's a great space back. You would think a Mike Leach could use him in the NFL. I mean, I, he just needs the opportunity. So he's one of these guys where if he ever got an opportunity somewhere, I would be I would be on board. I would say forget the 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 injury history, forget everything else. This guy is the type of guy that you want as a receiving back who's big, who's strong, who can do everything. He can run fast. He can do it all. Yeah, he's like an athletic Jalen Richard. Yes. I'll get you out here on this. Okay. Give me a very, very incredibly, extremely on the outer bounds of reasonable, bold prediction for the remainder of the season. Any vast outperformance is going to go with vast outperformance in quarterback play. And I mentioned Deshaun Watson as my most underrated quarterback. So my bold prediction is that the Houston Texans go to the Super Bowl this year. That is my bold prediction. I love it. People forget a couple of things. Number one, the love that we have for for Watson. Number two, they were, per Vegas odds, the leading team to win the division this year. And if you look at this division this year, yeah, I know Jacksonville's there, but I don't believe in fraudulent offenses. Okay, I don't believe in teams that don't suffer injuries and only play well on on defense. They're three and two. The Texans are two and three. They've lost some tough games. The defense is rounding into form. Uh, Their schedule is pretty cupcake other than the fact that they have to play Jacksonville. So I would not be surprised if they snuck into the playoffs. And if they can sneak into the playoffs, who knows what can happen in the in the AFC this year? I love this bold prediction, but there's one problem. If the Houston Texans make the Super Bowl, that means J.J. Watt goes to the Super Bowl. <laughs> and if J.J. Watt goes to the Super Bowl, we all lose. And if J.J. Watt goes to the Super Bowl, we all lose. That's true. I mean, well, well, hopefully his spotlight will be diminished somewhat by the fact that Deshaun Watson is going at the same time. Like, it's not a total crap quarterback. But you're right. Well, we, there'll be some 
there'll be some 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 social media posts, cringeworthy stuff coming coming from his feed for sure. That's it, man. That's the show. All right. Well, it's good. I got I got to get out of here. Pete, somebody. Oh, that 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 guy. Yeah, I mean that guy's just a that guy's like a, a troll, basically, right? Some people might say that you're a troll. I wouldn't say. It. I would say you're more like you're more playing up. Like you're playing up certain angles. I'm a troll hunter. You're playing up certain angles where it's not like in the ridiculousness sort of area. It's more like bordering with it. Where he just specifically says stuff to troll people, essentially. You fell for it, person, thinking I was being serious. You know, it, it gets a little old after a while. Can I tell you this? I never followed chaps. I don't get it. Like, is it okay that I don't get it? Like, the whole chaps thing, I don't get it. Cool kids like you, so I want to be cool. Who doesn't want to be cool? I'm going to give you a shot, but I don't get it. I mean, he may be a good guy and all that. Oh, sure. I just don't get the shtick. No value is added to my experience, my Twitter experience following him, so therefore I didn't. I'm fine being the, the Skip Bayless of fantasy Twitter. I'm fine with that. And But at least he has a show that's like a, a flagship show on a network. Like, he's not just saying something, and then when someone calls him out, he's like, oh, you know, I was just kidding. You're stupid for believing I, I, I thought that. So My new thing is I'm, I'm doubling down. Like, I'm not ever going to take any L's. None. Zero L's taken. JJ took the L with Derek Carr a couple of years ago, and he should have just ran out the clock. Yeah, I mean, Carr did have a pretty good year one year. It was a He was an MVP candidate. Yeah, supposedly. I mean, yeah, well, that was the whole team. They were 12 and 4, and then everything crumbled. I think it's interesting how quickly people have flipped on Carr. I, I sent something out about that earlier this year, where after that season, there was an ESPN ranking of like the the bunch of teams, and they were saying quarterback, like who had the the, the best young quarterback, and Carr was second, I think, on the list of everybody. And then now going into this year. People fucking shit on Carr on a weekly basis. I think Carr's actually playing well this year. Oh, yeah. He's become a punchline very quickly, shockingly fast. It's just a confluence of factors that you have. The owner is very mockable. John Gruden has become very mockable. So when you're surrounded by mockery, it ends up bleeding over into you, and then you get stained with the mockery as well. And then all of a sudden, you're like, well, if you're connected to these guys, well, we can't take you seriously either. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are there are a few people who I just, I hate, but then I felt like I had to defend sometimes, like Gruden, Hugh Jackson, a lot of these guys. I mean, they're so awful, but then it was so extreme with the Khalil Mack stuff and other things that I just couldn't, I couldn't take it after a while. You know, that you wouldn't pay a defender the maximum ever allotted to a player on the defensive side of the football you know we needed to get more pressure on the quarterback that's what they're going to say no matter what like every single time every single coach is going to say do we have to quote tweet every single time he mentions something about not getting pressure and being like well you had Khalil Mack it's like no fight what are you supposed to do never mention it again the rest of the season they were getting pressure with Khalil Mack the sports fan has become more fickle over the years I agree with that I absolutely believe that's true how is Eli Manning able to survive all these seasons, sustain any kind of reputation with Super Bowl rings from five years ago? It's unbelievable, right? Like, I think most sports fans, if you polled sports fans, now at this point you said Derek Carr or Eli Manning, they would go Manning. I feel like Eli is also, he's almost in that same Carr category where people are just so down on him at this point. 
Well, Eli Manning should have been receiving the car level blowback two years ago. Yeah, yeah. There was a two year buffer allotted to Eli Manning because he won a Super Bowl. I think that's what it is. If you win a Super Bowl, you get a two year pass. I mean, I can't believe they did this. A, a sports franchise said, we're going to go ahead and put the entire development and rebuilding of our franchise on pause for two years as a thank you to you for those Super Bowls. We're going to give you this gift that you'll be able to play out your contract years past when you're effective as a thank you. When does that happen in sports? LeBron James wouldn't even get that level of respect from whatever organization he's playing for. The Eli Manning reverence because of rings really is stunning. Drew Brees delivered unlike anyone else, right? I think that was the most storybook Super Bowl in NFL history, other than perhaps Joe Namath. He could be inefficient for multiple seasons, and they would continue to treat him with this reverence, but he is 0% diminished at age 39, almost 40. That's amazing. It's a very well-orchestrated, it's almost like a symphony, this show sheet. Almost. Yeah, so close. (laughs) (laughs) And I feed you questions that you've already answered on Twitter just to basically just give the guest just a nonstop series of alley-oops. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I'm giving you. That's what I deliver. I'm a great point guard. I I shoot too much. Sometimes. A lot. All right, let's, let's cut the shit and get to it. You have the ball, and you're two fucking yards away! You have the ball, Kevin. You're a little more excited about this than I am. We've been brainwashed with this hobby horse cliche. You're struggling on that one a little bit. Um, we can assume the public are mostly morons. All right, let's let's cut the shit and get to it. You're a little more excited about this than I am. Who is the guy? Uh, shit, I'm, I'm blanking out. Who's the quarterback on the Giants that flamed out spectacularly? Mike McCarthy is top five woke. His name's Mike Leach! Oh my god! Alright, let's let's cut the shit and get to it. You could always go with the guy that whipped his kid. Just a crap fest? I felt bad even asking this question. Okay, so I'm trying to be conservative. I made sure to say Northwestern because there's been zero wide receiver talent to come out of Northwestern since Dwayne Bates. And he caught like five passes in the NFL. Again, maybe in 10 years, if he's still good, I'll take the L. All right, let's let's cut the shit and get to it. He's already earned number three receiver snaps. He has... <clears throat> oh, now it's me that's dying. He's like InfoWars insane, but anyway, go ahead. 50% pass, 50% run is 50% stupid. Yeah, you got to work on that accent a little bit, but... Kenyon Drake. I don't understand why he's not he's not getting more opportunity in Miami. So he's a guy that I would say, <sighs> I'm so sorry. I was yawning. What did you say? Who did you mention? Well, I guess. I don't know. Is that your guy? I'm so glad we have the editing of these podcasts. Imagine if it was live. It'd be awful. Well, I think I think you're at least self-aware in your non-L takingness. I got a chub for chub. Like it's a southern accent. That's not him. Well, I think I think you're at least self-aware in your non-L takingness. We didn't talk about Devontae Adams yet. Well, you said that he stinks. No, I said Nelson Aguilar stinks. Oh, sorry, you're right. Well, I get the two confused. 
you cannot say the morning of the draft that Darnold should be the pick, and then six months later, after Baker Mayfield looks great, say, I said it the night of the draft. He's such a fraud that he's defrauding his own consciousness. This is a Twitter expose. He does kind of have a kneeable face. I'm hard right now.